right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. <coughs> All right. We go up to the screen again. We have looked at the giving of the law and we have seen it was ministered by angels. But we have seen that <coughs> the law was given. The Sabbath was special. It was given to the nation of Israel. It was given at the beginning when the law was given and the tabernacle and that. It was it completed it in Exodus 31. So he bound the whole issue around the Sabbath day. That's why it is so important to understand the Sabbath day. God has done an amazing work in the Solomons and in New Guinea in that he has saved two men, one in New Guinea, one in Solomons, both of which were 30 years their main Bible teachers in the SDA theological colleges in Papua New Guinea and in Solomons. I've met both men. <coughs> And I asked, I got by email contact first of all with the one from Solomon's and I said, tell me why did you leave the SDAs? He said, two reasons, straight out, two reasons. One, I saw the Sabbath day message was not about keeping the day, the message of the Sabbath was Jesus. That's an amazing movement for someone brought up for 30 years in the SDAs. The last one he said, the second part I saw I saw that God's dealings with the church was different to his dealings with Israel. There were two different identities in God's dealings. That is a very big step. So God has done it and that man is now being come theologically trained for carrying the message of creation in the Solomons, which we have longed for, to see a national do the work, not someone from outside. So this issue which we are looking at is very important. <coughs> The Sabbath day is a remembrance of God as creator. And when we come to the remembrance of God as creator, and I won't touch on it probably, but in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3 and on to 4, it deals with this whole issue of the message of today. And he links it back to the message of the Sabbath day. Next one we go to. God's name of renown as Redeemer. We've done, I've passed over creation now. That's how his name of renown is. He is the Creator. Now we must touch the question of him as Redeemer. So we go. <coughs> I've used it uh, like the child is known by his actions. I said, God, he, by his actions, made himself a name of renown. And this is Daniel's prayer. Part of his prayer in Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel has lived right through the history of Israel by understanding he's in captivity in Babylon and this is his prayer when he understands that the captivity is about to end according to Jeremiah's prophecy and he spends much time in prayer confessing the sins of himself and Israel what they have done and he prays and he has these words. What happened to it? Ah, oh, right. <laughs> these are his words out of Daniel 9. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and made for yourself. Notice, when he brought Israel out of the land of Egypt, what happened? God made for himself a name of renown. 
He was known by what he did. And even Rahab said, when those two spies or those two messengers came into her house, he said, we have heard. And there's 40 years of wilderness that's coming out of Egypt. There's the Lamb Passover that's passing the Red Sea. There's 40 years in the wilderness. He said, we have heard in the land here what God did for you. It was a name of renown that he would keep a, a nation alive in a desert for 40 years. He never withheld the manna in spite of all their behaviour. Six days it would be there, seventh day, no. For 40 years he taught them, six days you'll work, the seventh, no work. And they learnt it, as I told you, very strongly when they stoned the man to death. No work. No work. So the message of the Sabbath day, and you'll get it as it's given through, no work, no work, no work. If you work, kill him. If God was like that with the shadow, what about the reality? You add to Christ's work? You think it's not sufficient for your soul? You don't think it satisfies God? You've got to bring something with you? Look out. If you build steps up to God's altar, beware or your nakedness will be revealed. You will not have the covering of Christ. Steps are your works at God's altar. That's Old Testament. It's shadow. But there's a reality in the message. <coughs> the Sabbath day is a remembrance of that. He redeemed Israel out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 5, 12, 15. I've quoted verse 15. It's all about the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. And this is the, word, the words. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and a stretched out arm. Tell me, is that how he did creation? A mighty arm and a, a mighty hand and a stretched out arm. Is that how he did creation? Jeremiah 32 verse 17 says, Ah, Lord God, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power, your mighty hand and your stretched out arm. Same thing. Same power, same God who brought everything into existence is the same God who has worked for redemption. Don't add to it. It's a perfect work. What do we lost focus of? The power of the God who saves. Our trust is to be in God, not in ourselves, not in what we can do. It's his ability. Why did they suffer in the wilderness? They did not believe what God said. Are they an example? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6 and verse 11, it is, repeats itself. <laughs> it says, these are our examples. Israel, these are our examples. We should not do what they did. And they didn't believe God. In spite of all that they had seen and we have heard and seen through the scriptures, we were not at the cross. But when the gospel comes, it's telling you about the cross and what happened there, isn't it? And we are called to believe. Put our trust in the God who sacrificed his own son. It's not the blood of an animal. It is the blood of the, the, the sinless son of God. He did it to his own son. 
He had you and I in view. He had the world in view. God so loved the world and it's hard for us to grasp. He gave His only begotten Son. He gave Him what to death, to spitting, to having His hair pulled out, to being lashed, crown of thorns, everything. He stood back and that's what they did to Him. Can you add to it? God knows we cannot save ourselves. One of those great men of the Old Testament was the man Job, you know. And God spoke to Job very strongly because he said, you have not said for me the things you ought to. And God questioned him. Two full chapters are given to question after question after question and Job could not answer and most of those questions we can't answer today. So when he gets to the end, (coughs) Job says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I see you. I abhor myself in dust and ashes. All I am is dust and ashes. And that was actually Abram's prayer when he was pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the grounds of his asking God, he said, I am just dust and ashes. But he pleaded. So when we come to this whole area, God said to Job, (coughs) he said, how strong are you, Job? How strong is your arm? What power have you got? Can you pull down the proud when they walk in their arrogance? Can you do that, Job? Meaning God can. And it's the history of the scripture is that. He did it with Pharaoh. He's done it with nations. He's done it with kings. He's done it in their pride. He's just pulled them from their positions and replaced them with others. He said, can you do that, Job? He said, if you can do it, I will admit to you that you can save yourself. They are the words of God to Job. Do you think he would say the same to you and me? You can't save yourself. If Job could not save himself by any action that he did and there was no man like him in all the earth, can you save yourself? There's not a work you can bring to God that will save your soul. You must trust Christ. You must believe the gospel that God has actually done this for my sinful soul to bring himself, myself to him forever. Is that the God I wish? I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything for it. He has done it. Believe it. That's the call. Believe what he's done. Trust him. So there's an immensity about the gospel here. The past and future actions by the Lord God of Israel, put it here because his name of renown is history, like he brought Israel out of Egypt, eh? And Jeremiah 16 says, However, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when men will no longer say, As surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. That's his name of renown. He made it. He did it. He said, The days are coming when men will no longer say that. Now that is the greatest point in history for the nation of Israel. The Passover will be kept by them in days ahead still. And it's a remembrance, a name of renown. God did it for them. 
He said, the days are coming when this will no longer be the chief thing they will remember. It says, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north, out of all countries where he banished them, for I will restore them to the land I gave their forefathers. Tell me, are you living prophetically? Is there a name of renown which God will be known for in the future? Yes. And that name of renown is, so great will be the evidence of what he does, they'll no longer remember the crossing of the Red Sea, they'll no longer remember the coming out of slavery of Egypt, they will remember what God did to bring them back into the land to restore it to them as a nation. Don't tell me the future does not hold immense things for the nation of Israel. It does. And because it is so powerful, God repeats himself. And when God repeats a subject, it means it's sure. Next one is Jeremiah 23. (coughs) So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north. (coughs) I've left something out of the text. As surely as the Lord lives who brought Israel up out of the land of Egypt, that's in the text. I don't know, I've I've been typing it and I've forgotten, all right? (laughs) But it will be as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel out of the land of the north and out of all countries where he brought them and they will live in their own land. Sorry, that's a mistake. You'll have to correct that. I was typing and I left that bit out, all right? It doesn't mention Egypt, but it does in the text in your Bible. It's not there. It's a repeat of the other text above. Okay? So (coughs) we are reminded that God has made a name of renown for himself by what he did to the nation of Israel, and he's going to make a name of renown for what he's going to do to the nation of Israel in the future. All right, keep going. And this we really touch on the main theme that I wanted to touch on this camp. And that is, behold the man, because that is God's answer to everything. (coughs) Hebrews 2, 6 to 8 and Psalm 8. And uh, I won't go through them. We quoted them last night and we saw that in Hebrews chapter 2, he quotes from Psalm 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honour. You've set him over the works of your hands. So the previous verse says, Unto angels has he not put in subjection the world to come about which we are speaking. So the world to come, who will he make that world subject to man? Question, what is man? What is man? That you are mindful of him. And we have looked and seen that Psalm 8 is picturing and speaking of the Lord Jesus. When the little children said, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, you have ordained praise to still the eyes, still these comments of these enemies of yours. 
these who are against you. He takes you to the temple. He takes you to Jesus on earth. He's ridden into the town the day before. He's on a donkey to fulfill a Zechariah's prophecy. Your king comes to you, meek and lowly. He's riding on a donkey, and I call it the foal of a donkey. And they're laying down branches, and they're saying, Hosanna! And they're quoting from Psalm 180. And he goes into the temple, we are told. He observes. He goes out. But the next day when he comes in, he goes in and he overthrows their tables and he scatters their money and he cries out against them and he says, <clears throat> my house has been called a house of prayer and you've made it a den of robbers. It's a house of prayer for all nations. And he was angry. And they said, what authority? How can you do all this? And then they heard the little children singing, Hosanna to the son of David. All the crowd had cried out, who is this? And the reply was, this is Jesus, the man, the prophet, the man who calls himself a prophet from Nazareth. That's who he is. The little kids are crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And that made them really angry. That makes him the king of Israel. He's the son of David. So when we come to this whole area, who is he, the son? Who is this man? Behold the man. Well, what is man? What are you? Are you ape or are you image? <laughs> now, you must understand the whole world is teaching that we come from the ape. I'm putting it very simply, but that is basically the picture of what has picked up the whole education system across the world, that we come from the animal kingdom and we originate from the primates, the apes. What is man? Man is in the image of God. So we have a very important subject for us because we were made, we're not angels. Angels do not have a mortal body. Angels are spirits. He makes his angels spirits. His ministers, his servants, flames of fire. They're radiant, they're angels. They have no problems in the present. They're called holy and elect when they have never sinned. That is who they are. They're clothed with light. It's true they can appear on it, and it's true they can appear as a man, but they are spirits. There's no transgender. They're spirits. <coughs> and so we have what is man? Why didn't he take the form of an angel because they sinned? Why did he bar bypass the angels and come down to man? Because all we are is dust. Aren't we? Dust you are, to dust you will return. Angels have no bodies, they don't go to dust. They're eternal beings. Whether they're the holy elect or whether they're the demons and the devils of our world, the unclean spirits, they are eternal beings. That means they don't die like we do. There's no graves up in heaven for angels as far as I know and I know there's none on earth. We do that kind of thing. We have to because sin has entered. This part of creation, 
Then it began to hit me, and I'm going to take you through a pathway which has never hit me before, realising how immense God is in his workings. <coughs> you will notice I put up there a little lower than the angels. Chapters 1 and 2, I've listed every place angels are mentioned. So what do you understand? Angels are very important in your first two chapters of Hebrews, aren't they? you just got to look at it and you, you get an understanding of angels. You get an understanding of angels in relation to God's own son. This kind of thing. So Hebrews chapter 2 starts off in verse 5. He says, Unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come about which we are speaking. Is there a world to come? God says once more, I'll shake I shook the earth, but once more I'll shake, not the earth, but heaven also. So that things which are shaken may be removed. Things which cannot be shaken may remain. We receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let's have grace and serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Amen. So we understand there's an immense call on the sons of men. Because that's what we are. To be... Sons of God. So when, when we come to this here, I'm going to look at a few things. I've got God's plan for the future of man. They're given the quote, take your Bible, look at the quote in your Bible, we're in Hebrews uh, 2 and you're in verse 6 to 8 and that is the quote in your Bible. I don't think I put it up. No, that's it. Hebrews 2 verse 6 to 8. These are the words. They're taken out of Psalm 8. It says in verse 6, But there is a place where someone has testified. You can put in there David in Psalm 8 if you want the reference. The, the, the text is, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour and put everything under his feet means he's over everything. Then it says, in putting everything under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Tell me, is this world going to be subject to someone? The world to come? It must be. And we have said this prophecy of David applies specifically to Christ. That's why the little children cried out. That is taken and put in the temple when Jesus is there. It's a specific prophecy of an incident where Jesus is in the temple. And that's when the little children quote this psalm. Not knowing what they're doing, they're crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. So when we come to this very important area, yet at present we do not see everything Subject to him. Is that true? Everything is not yet subject to Christ? Is that true? He must reign. He must reign. He is at the right hand of the Father and he must reign till his enemies become his footstool. Tell me the last enemy he will destroy death 
and death will be swallowed up in victory. And when that happens, he'll hand back the kingdom to the Father. The work is done. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you're down in verse 24. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Listen carefully to Paul's words. Then the end will come. Are you longing for the end to come? <laughs> Paul is saying, then the end will come. So what's to happen? When he hands over <coughs> the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. He must reign till his enemies become his footstool. He's at the right hand of the Father. Now, is he sitting on a throne? He's not on the throne of David. Now, he is going to be on the throne of David. That's why they were offended when he said, <coughs> Hosanna to the son of David because the promised one in Scripture will sit on David's throne and have a kingdom and he will rule from Jerusalem. That's yet to be on earth. It's not yet. It's going to be. But that's only the beginnings. He must reign till every enemy is put down by him. So we go on in our text. Verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Tell me, do you think he will do it? What's your trust? Your trust is the word of God. We have no other trust. Do we? We don't know anything about this apart from the word of God. We know nothing of the real history of our world apart from the word of God. Scientists will tell you all about it. But the Bible tells you exactly the history of our world. What about the future? If it's not exact in the past, it won't be exact in the future, your Bible. But if it is exact in the past, and it is, it is going to be exact in the future. And he must reign. Amen. That's not my word. That's the word of God. He must reign, exercising his authority till his enemies become his footstool. He will tread. <coughs> what was the verse promise given when man sinned? The serpent. He will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. Thank God for the seed of the woman, not the man, the seed of the woman. That's the promise given finally, to the end of all wickedness. He must reign till his enemies become his footstool. Then he says this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Well, I was here last time, no, we buried a Fijian lady, a Fijian lady, yeah, Fijian lady. For every believer there, 
this was parting till we meet again. For every believer there, when that body decays and goes, that lady was with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. What about the future? The last enemy. Death has taken the body, but we have been redeemed, spirit, soul and body. And we're going to be preserved blameless to the coming of Jesus. And death will be conquered by a shout from heaven. And the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Comfort one another with these words. Why, our hope is in Christ. You can try lower your like. Some of you have shoelaces on your feet, on your shoes. Try lifting yourself up by your own shoelaces. You don't get anywhere. When you go from this world, it will be no effort of your own. It will be the Holy Spirit's power. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. And it will be made like unto His glorified body. The miracles, the miracles that lie ahead. When we are gathered together, all the dead in Christ, caught up. Tell me, there's an immense number. From the time the gospel has gone out on the day of Pentecost, right up through at the nations of our world, you have believers in Christ. We will be caught up. And those who are alive and remain are caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Will death be conquered? Yes. Why? Because when Jesus purchased you and me, he purchased you spirit, soul and body. You are a complete being. Every human is a complete being. We are no different to Adam. When he took him out of the dust of the earth, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. He is spirit, soul and body. You are spirit, soul and body. That's how Adam was made. Why was he made with spirit? So he could communicate with God. Why did he have a soul? So he'd be conscious of himself. Why did he have a body? He's conscious of this world. That's why you look out there, you see things, you hear things, all that. Your body makes you conscious of the world you're living in. You are a complete being. Amazingly made. Aren't we? This is man. But what is man that you are mindful of him? Why? Because the whole of mankind sinned in Adam. Angels only part of the angelic world sinned, but they sinned. He bypassed that part and he came down to mankind. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That is one of the great mysteries in this world, that God, who is spirit, who dwells in light, to whom no man can see, we can't approach to him, that God 
should become flesh, a human body on earth, the man, Christ Jesus. No wonder the scripture says, behold the man. They were Pilate's words, but prophetically through your Old Testament, the cry constantly is, behold the man. And it's not talking about Pilate and his utterance. It's talking about the man, Christ Jesus. And the cry of the Old Testament prophetically, he's called the branch, is behold the man. And we are going to look into this whole area of a call of scripture prophetically to behold the man. This man who's opened out to us in the book of Hebrews, who is given the full <coughs> all right, better go from here. And these are areas that I must quickly go through to make clear to you. <coughs> Angels are created beings, and there are questions. Because when you read Genesis 1, there seems to be no mention of angels. True? Genesis 1, in the six days you read in Genesis 1, where are angels? The, the rest of creation, yeah, you can see it. It's all outlined for us. But where are angels? But angels must be created or they're God because he created all things. Without him was not anything made that was made. So everything else has been made. He is God alone. So what about angels? When? Were they made? How were they made? How many were made? So we're going to go quickly through and answer our questions. One, we'll deal with them in order. What have I put up? All right. Made how? We'll leave the top line out. We'll answer those. Go. How were angels made? Now your answer lies in Psalm 148. It's given to you there, verse 2 and verse 5. Take your Bible or else listen to it. Psalm 148. Verse 2 and verse 5 in that psalm. I'll read it to you. Psalm 148, verse 2. Praise him who? Psalm 148, verse 2. Praise him who are to praise him? All his angels, without exception, any angelic being, Praise Him. Praise Him, <coughs> all His heavenly hosts. There's no exceptions. Why? Verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For what reason? He commanded and they were created. If someone asked you how do angels come to be, what is their origin? The same as everything else God made, he spoke and they were. That's how they came to be. So we understand the Bible tells us they are created beings and the manner of creation is exactly the same. God said and the whole angelic world came into existence. The next question is, if that's what he did, how many did he make? And your answer lies in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. I think I've put it up there. Revelation 5, verse 11. And you sang it. You sang it in the prayer meeting this morning. 
I beheld and I heard, I saw and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. The number is 10,000 times 10,000. That is 100 million. And thousands of thousands times that. Tell me, are you dealing with a big number? You're dealing with an immense number. And remember, this does not include the fallen angels because they're angels, the devil and his angels. They're the ones that followed him. So it's not including those who have been fallen from the place they had. So now you have only the holy and the elect angels and you have multiplied, multiplied millions. Our God, and by the way, the Bible says angels, as far as humans are concerned, are greater in might and power than we are. That's out of Peter. So here are beings greater and might, mightier than we are. Multiplied millions brought into existence by the Creator Christ who spoke and the whole angelic world came into existence. Tell me, how great is the Creator? If He spoke into existence the whole angelic world, He's some Creator. Question is, <coughs> we have little babies. We procreate. That's mankind. We are only created, we started with two, Adam and Eve. The origin of humankind is from two. And when you're doing biology now, they call her mitochondrial Eve. All right? So this is an original woman, an original man, originates the whole of humanity on earth. That's the biblical history for mankind. So it has multiplied up since then. Had a few accidents on the way, like the flood, which kind of stopped things very suddenly, like that. But what you see today is progression over time. What about angels? No, they do not marry. They are not given in marriage. Jesus said that. You're in great error. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Imagine being hit by those words in the middle of a public appearance and you are the leader of Israel. You're in great error. These were the Sadducees, all right? They're the modern-day humanists. <laughs> they don't believe in spirits. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, all this kind of thing, all right? So you've got Jesus' answer. You're in great error. You don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. When you rise, you will be like the angels in heaven. They don't marry. They are not given in marriage. There's no more procreation. There's no more husband and wife. There's nothing of this. This belongs to this world, not to the next. So we have an understanding here that angels were created, an original number. Right from there, they have never increased in number. That's them. They're there. So <coughs> when were they made? So You've got to go to God for the answer because you weren't there. True? Take your Bible, turn to Job 38. Job 38. It's one of the scientific questions of the Bible. 
Job 38, we'll read from verse 4. God is again questioning this man Job, of whom there was none like him in all the earth. And he uttered some amazing things from his own mouth, is in understanding of God. Job 38, verse 4, God's question to him, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Other words, were you there? Were you there? Did you see it? If you did not see it, you have no words to say about what happened. That is what your young people have to think about when they say millions of years ago. The scientific question is, were you there? Did you see it? Because science under Francis Bacon, which is taught all over the world in your lower high school students, the scientific method is you set up the experiment, you carry it out, you observe it, you record it, you analyse it, you draw your conclusions, you repeat it. That's science, that's real science. Evolution is not science. It's in the science textbook, it's in the science course, but it is not science. It is not based on science. It's based on the interpretation of what you see in this world and we intrude our own philosophy onto what we see. Without the Bible as light, we draw our own conclusions. So God says to Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth, were you there? Right. Can you tell me, were you there? Did you see God lay the foundation of the earth? If he asked you that, could you answer it? The answer honestly is, no, I was not there. I did not see it. Why is God doing that? Because he did it and he watched it as it happened. He's the eyewitness account. So when you don't say it happened the way the Bible says, you are calling into credibility the creator. And that's serious. You are accusing him of saying things he has no right to say. He is the creator. He watched it. He gave us a record of it. And our God does not lie. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not a son of man. He should change his mind. So when you come to here, were you there, Job? Did you see it? When its circumference was measured, when it was all put in place, foundations were there, he's going right through the earth being formed. Now where do you get that in Genesis 1? Because the Bible says here, while it's happening in verse 7 of your Bible, in Romans, in Job 38 and verse 7, while, while this is happening, what is also happening in verse 7? The morning stars sang together. That's harmony. There's no disharmony. You only have two morning stars in your whole Bible. One is Lucifer, one is Christ. Lucifer has one title, Christ has multiplied titles. One of them is Morning Star. And they're singing in harmony. Not only that, and all the angels, or you may have sons of God in your Bible, shouted for joy. So who was present when the earth was being formed? If you're going to take God's account of what happened, the angels were already created when the earth was being formed. True? 
you can draw no other conclusion. Unfallen. There's no, no, no semblance of sin. They're called sons of God. So here you have the whole angelic world which he has been brought into existence the beginning of day one, watching as the earth is being formed. So when you read your Bible, verse 1, Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, that's time, time begins day one, in the beginning, God, the personage, L-O-M, plural, more than one, created his action. Order the heavens first and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. King James has it in sequence the whole lot. So what has happened? The whole angelic world watches as the earth is being formed and shout for joy. Now question, why did they shout for joy? Because that is the sphere of their ministry. There are no aliens. Did you hear me clearly? God has given us a clear understanding of this universe, this world we find ourselves in. It is his handiwork. You're going to get more and more th stories about aliens and all kinds on your TV programs and on your kids' things and it's pushed, right? We have a, a true record, a biblical record, which we need to understand. So we have the angels created like that. Now tell me, <coughs> when did angels sin? Because sin entered. Because some Bibles, including my NIV, has a footnote on verse 2 of Genesis 1. And it says, and it says, and the earth was without form and void, is the NIV as I've got it, but it's a little letter, was. Down the bottom, possibly, possibly became. Meaning, it was something, but something happened and it was all changed. So now you're looking at another creation from verse 2 on in Genesis chapter 1. When you go to Bible colleges, and it's still strongly taught in many, many Bible colleges, called the gap theory. Reject it. It can be rejected on so many counts. One of the clearest accounts is in Revelation 21, verse 1. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first heaven has passed away. That's it. When is the first heaven and the first earth? When it was created up to the time of the new heaven and the new earth. That's the existence of the first heaven and the first earth. And we happen to be in it now. But it's going, and Peter tells us how it's, and Isaiah tells us how it is going to be removed. So we understand that angels are created beings. What about man? Sin entered the angelic world. What about man? Are we created beings? Or did we come from the animal kingdom? Huh? Big question for young people. 
I only have to ask in Papua New Guinea and in Vanuatu, the young people, where did you come from? The ape is the standard answer. You realise how the education system, assisted by Australia, particularly in Papua New Guinea, has wrecked the whole thinking of a nation which experienced the gospel salvation, some of them, only after the Second World War in recent time, the gospel has come to them. And I've watched the education system do a terrible work. I've had students there, some old men I got very close to, the students, and they were in education all their life. Grew up in the mission station in Sepik, in the Sepik, and knew some of the men I know today who were missionaries in the Sepik area and gave me their testimonies because the principal of the college said, I want to, you to tell, because uh, uh, you're going to record it, what effect this teaching on Genesis 1 to 11 has had on you. And I was interested to listen because you don't get feedback very much. And I, person after person came up. And because it is an animistic culture, every tribe comes from a different animal. You understand? So when they get up, one man says, oh, I came from the rooster. <laughs> Another one says, and someone laughed and said, you eat red rooster? <laughs> <laughs> and then someone comes up, I come from the cassowary. I come from the crocodile. Now this is your culture. This is where you've been brought up. Evolution comes in and we came from the animal kingdom and it slips in neat. Do you get the picture? Creation comes in and says, no, no. You don't come from the animal kingdom. You were created in the image of God. And it contradicts totally their culture and what they're taught in school. Tell me, who's winning? I'm sorry, it's not winning. Until there is a stand taken within a nation, it will continue downhill. That's the position. Until a stand is taken in a nation, and we are in a nation in that state. I'm glad one man has stood up, Israel Falau, and said the Bible is true, means what it says. So when we're coming to this area, this is the kind of importance we place upon creation. Man is a created being, made in the image of God, spirit, soul, and body. According to 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body preserve blameless to the coming of Jesus. Your whole being is involved in the redemption program of God. So, End of Genesis 1.31, God gives a quality assessment of the whole of creation. Take your Bible, Genesis 1.31, God gives a quality assessment of the whole of creation, which includes the whole of creation, including the angels. What do you read in Genesis 1.31? He's finished the six-day creation. What do you read in Genesis 1.31? God saw how much? 
everything he'd made. Did he miss anything? Where was the devil? He's still the morning star. Sin has not entered. You cannot put sin's entry before the end of day six. And you certainly can't put it after day seven because God rested, it was complete, it was finished, and it was perfect. So the minute you accept the gap theory, you've introduced millions of years and destroyed the message of the cross. Because you have no historic Adam. You have no original sin. You have no Garden of Eden. You have nothing of what went on in that garden as real history to the beginning of our world. And it's serious. Because this is giving way across Bible colleges across the world. They are yielding and compromising the literalness of our Bible. It is the literal history of the world we are living in. We cannot compromise because once you do, you have lost your foundation for marriage. Haven't you? Tell me, is that what's happening in our world? Why is it happening? Because once you throw out Genesis chapter 2, which is in a perfect world, and God instituted marriage, and God gave a, a value system, a man, XY will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, double X chromosome. They're joined together. They become one flesh. The whole value system of sex. No premarital sex. No divorce. Marriage is what God's perfect plan. That's it. Tell me a sin entered. Wow. Has sin entered? We are reaping a terrible harvest. Not that it can't be forgiven because that's why Christ died at the cross. Amen. Things can be forgiven. But to protect, he's given us the account and understanding of the origin of marriage. It's real. Jesus said, when questioned about divorce, for this reason... A man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. The two become one flesh. What God's joined together, don't you put apart. What's the church doing today? Putting it apart. Not only is it putting apart, it's ma marrying man to man. It's marrying woman to woman. That's happening in churches now. It happened in the Southern Baptist Church in their main seminary. Before um, Albert Moeller took over, by a miraculous burn of events and swung the whole ship round and suffered the consequences, his family and himself. But he's won through. So I'll leave you with that. My time, my time is up. <laughs> I trust as I go through it lays a bit of a, a, a strong foundation for where we're heading. Behold the man. <laughs>